0: Once again, good morning, Canyon Hills. It's so great to see each and every one of you here this morning. And thank you to all of you who are joining us for our live stream service this morning. My name is Matt, and it's just another great Sunday to be here as we are continuing in our series called One Nation with Part Two, which we're calling Under God. Before we get started, I'm going to grab my podium. So if you missed out on last week, we started this brand new series. And through the thrust of this series, we're really taking a look at some of our key identities as a nation, as a country, and who we really want to be and what we want to be identified by. And we're doing this by taking a look at the Pledge of Allegiance. And so last week, we we took a look at it. We kind of broke it down a little bit and bounced some scripture off of it to see how Jesus is really calling us to stay active and engaged during this very political season. What he's calling us to do and still to stand for when it seems like the world is trying to tell us so many different things. And we started off by talking about the phrase one nation and how when we look around, it doesn't really look like we are one united nation, right? It's just, it's a divided nation that we currently live in. But we discussed how God has called us to be a part of a greater nation, to be part of the nation of the kingdom of heaven. And he wants us to be his ambassadors to come to this earth and to help bring love and this message of reconciliation to a divided world, to help restore it and reunite it as one spiritual nation. And so today we're gonna look at the next part of the Pledge of Allegiance, the stanza where it says, under God. So we have one nation and now under God. And what does it really mean to be under God? Now, if any of you are history buffs out there or like trivia, here's a a fun little fact for you as we open. Did you know that when the original Pledge of Allegiance was written, it did not include the phrase under God? Anybody know that? Raise your hand if you knew that. Wow, there's a lot of people who knew that. That's great. Yeah, if you didn't know that, when the original Pledge of Allegiance was written, it did not include the phrase under God. The Pledge of Allegiance was written in 1892 by a man named Francis Bellamy. And Francis Bellamy was a socialist Baptist minister. Now, if that sounds weird to you, it probably should because those are words that don't really go together. It's like jumbo shrimp or Microsoft Works, right? They're just, they, they don't seem to fit with one another. But when we truly look at it, this is who he was. He was a socialist Baptist minister, and he wrote the Pledge of Allegiance in 1892, but it didn't include the words, under God. It wasn't until later on in history, in fact, 1954, under President Eisenhower, that he suggested the phrase, under God be added. And it was because the United States was under great attack of this communist threat. And so he wanted something that could unify us, something that could rally us together and really give us a true identity as we'd always been created to have. And when he looked back, he probably saw and said, you know what? We have strayed so far from our original foundation as a country of who we want to be as a nation. We've removed God, so we need to put God back into it. And I like to think that he recalled George Washington's farewell address in 1792 when he said this, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. What he's saying here is that if we want to prosper in this life physically, spiritually or politically, religion, having a relationship with God is an indispensable support. It's got to be a part of our lives. We have to figure out how to live under God in every single thing that we choose to do here. But how do we do that? What does that really look like? And so that's what we're gonna focus on this morning. We're gonna wrestle with this question is how do we as Jesus followers, believers in Christ, really stay under God in a world that seems to be coming more hostile towards God every day? Let me say that again. What does it look like? How do we as Christians stay under God in a culture, in a community, in a world, in a country that seems to be more and more hostile towards God every day. They keep trying to push God further and further away from us, further and further out of things. What does that look like? And before we answer this question, I think we need to wrestle with an even greater question. And the question is this, when it comes to your life and the decisions that you choose to make every single day, would you say that you are more influenced by culture or by God? If I were to put a little timeline or a little scale up on the screen from one to 10, one meaning that you are under culture. It means every decision that you make, God isn't even included. It's just like, man, I don't even think about God when I make it, I just do it. Versus 10 being under God, it's like, God, should I eat this piece of bread today, right? Where would you fall on this scale of the average decisions that you choose to make and how you get influenced in your life? Now, odds are some of you might be saying this is really hard to answer because it depends on the situation, It depends on what I'm doing. For instance, if I'm going to church, that's probably going to be more under God, right? I feel God is calling me to go to church and I want to be influenced by him. But if it's like I need my second McFat pay of the day or my other Starbucks latte, that's probably going to be more under culture. So it really depends on the situation. But if you were to average it out, would you say that the average decisions that you choose to make every single day are more influenced by culture or are they more influenced by God? Now, some of you may once again be struggling. So before you mentally circle this in your head, I want to give you four areas to think about before you actually give your answer. And you're not going to have to say it out loud. It's just between you and and God. But I want to give you four things to think about of where you would land. First, let's talk about entertainment. When it comes to the movies you watch, the things that you listen to, the books that you read, would you say that you're more influenced by God or more influenced by culture? Meaning, do you, before you watch a movie, think, is this going to be pleasing to God? Before you listen to something, do you say, is this something that's going to give me a heart and a spirit of worship that connects me with God? Or when you go to read something, you're saying, this is something that when I read, it's going to edify me, it's going to grow me, it's going to mentor me and disciple me and make me a better Christian. Are those the thoughts that go through your head before you watch, read, or listen to something? Or are you on the other side where you say, you know what, I'm just going to watch whatever's popular. I mean, Mandalorian, the new season is streaming, and I got to watch it. I got to be in the know. Or maybe you're saying, hey, you know what? It's, I want to listen to all of the cool hit music right now because apparently Justin Bieber has this amazing Christian album that he's released, and I have to know more. I need to be involved in it. Or it's about what you're reading. I'm reading what everybody else is reading because apparently like Fifty Shades of Grey is something amazing, and I just have to know what it's about. Would you say that you are more influenced by culture or by God when it comes to entertainment, the things you watch, what you listen to, and what you read? That's just one category. Let's take another category. Let's talk about your money, how you spend your money. Would you say that when you get that paycheck at the end of the week, you're saying, man, I am so grateful God gave me this job. God has allowed me to be employed and what's mine is his. And so I'm gonna pay for the necessities of life and then the rest of it's gonna go to blessing the kingdom of God. I'm gonna pour it back in the ministry, help those who are hurting really invest back in God. Or do you say, no, it's my money. I worked hard for it. I'm going to buy what I want to buy. And that infomercial says that I need the newest iPhone. I need the latest and greatest technology that's out there because that's what's captivating to me. I've got to have these things because I worked hard for it. It's my money. I should get to choose how I spend it. Would you say in spending your money, you're more influenced by culture or you're more influenced by God? Let's take a third category. The things that you say, the things that you type online, right? We talked all last week about this. Would you say this past week the words that came out of your mouth were edifying to God? You didn't speak any envy, slander, hatred, malice towards someone else. You didn't belittle or demean or get very vocal and speak your opinions and how you're feeling on a certain post or something that's online? Or did you say, hey, you know what? In the midst of that evacuation, yeah, I dropped that little how dare you, you scumbag that you cut me off word. But everybody does that. I'm a human. Right? It's okay because everybody else is doing it, and it's part of my human nature to express these things. Would you say this last week even, the words you said were more influenced by God or by culture and the situations you found yourself in? The last thing to look at is this, your time. How do you spend your time? Would you say, I recognize that life is fleeting. It's here one minute, and it's gone the next. And I know that my life is shortened, so I'm going to use every waking moment I can to bless the kingdom of God to be his hands and feet, to do what God has called me to do? Or do you say, who's got time for that? I got kids to take places. I've got Zoom meetings to attend. I've got to get to that vacation because I am sick and tired of living in quarantine. Would you say that when it comes to your time, you're more influenced by God or you're more influenced by culture? So when you were to look at the average decisions that you make in your life, where would you fall? And once again, before you mentally circle, I think there's one more thing that we need to recognize. Odds are we don't even know. And the reason we don't know is because we don't have accurate judgment. I know that sounds harsh, that sounds rude, but let me explain that. How many of you, don't have to raise your hands, have ever known somebody who's been under the influence of alcohol? Think about that person that you know, being under the influence, being intoxicated by alcohol. What happens when someone's under the influence? Changes what they think, how they behave, what they say, how they speak, what they think is funny, who they think is attractive, right? Right? The more you drink, apparently, the more attractive people become around you because you're in that moment, and it's fun. It's enlightening, right? What happens is you let your guard down. You become vulnerable, and it makes you act out in a way that you typically wouldn't. And you know what the real kicker is? More often than not, people who are under the influence of alcohol don't realize how far under the influence of alcohol they really are because it's fun. It's great. Life is just joyful for once. And they stay in that moment without realizing how far intoxicated they are. And the reason I bring this up is because I think it's a great link to a question, a hard question we all need to ask ourselves. And it's this, what if we have become so intoxicated by culture, we don't even realize how far we've drifted from God? Think about that. What if we have become so intoxicated under the influence of culture, we don't even realize how far we have drifted away from God? Where are your decisions that you make? Where are they founded in? It? More influenced by culture or are they more influenced by God? And this is something so prevalent for us to answer right now in this political season because there is so much that culture is trying to tell us. So much that culture is throwing in front of us, vote for this candidate, support this position, go for this measure. But are we choosing to listen to what culture is telling us to do or remaining strong in the biblical principles that God has called us to and using God's influence to help us make these decisions in our lives? where does your influence lie? How do we do this? You know, I think that there's a great example of a man in scripture in the Old Testament who can help us kind of navigate this, figure out what all this is really about. And his name is Daniel. And you can be found in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel. But Daniel was a guy that had every cultural influence stacked against him. If you know the story about Daniel, it's pretty fascinating. He was from Jerusalem and he was a young boy at the time. And this king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar comes into Jerusalem and just ransacks the town, destroys it, burns it to the ground, takes all the religious idols and destroys them, removing their identity. And then he takes all of the people and makes them prisoners of war pretty much. And he lines them up and he's walking around saying, you know what, we're gonna take the youngest, the best, the brightest, the most fit, and we're gonna bring them back to Babylon with us. And our intent when we bring them back is we're gonna train them how to act like us how to speak like us, how to think like us. Because if we can make them more like us, well, then we can use them down the road as our next political leaders, as influential people in our community. But we've got to retrain how they think, how they're influenced and what they really believe and what they stand for. It's a really interesting strategy when we read about it in Daniel chapter one. Take a look at this in Daniel chapter one, verses three through five. says this, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He goes on to say, He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Do you see what happened here? The Babylonians, they grab these guys and they bring them in. And they say, we're going to change your language. We're going to change your education. We're going to change your diet. And we're going to change your name. Now, that name piece was a big thing because up to this point, all of their names were relating to Yahweh. They were relating to God they said, no, we're going to remove that from you and we're going to give you names relating to pagan gods. This was their strategy. Their strategy was if we could really change how they're thinking, what they believe, it's going to change how they behave. If we can influence them enough, they're going to completely forget where they come from and they'll become our biggest supporters, our biggest allies, our biggest advocates for what we want to do. This is an incredible story. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not making a link right now saying that our local, our city, our state, or our country governments or those people who are in charge are like King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not saying that at all, that they're trying to come in and influence us to think a certain way. What I am getting at is this. We are under spiritual attack. There is a great spiritual warfare all around us from an enemy whose goal is to kill, to steal, and destroy everything good that God stands for. And one of his biggest tactics is to lure the seductive piece of culture, of popular culture, to make us feel like we have to fit in, that we have to belong, that we have to be influenced and stand for culture rather than standing for God. And this is why it's so important that we're not just these lukewarm halfway Christians. That's not going to cut it. We can't just be halfway into this whole Christ thing that Jesus calls us to. I mean, yeah, maybe some of us said when we were younger, we said that prayer of repentance and we dedicated our life to God. Or maybe when I was a teenager, I got myself baptized, but that was the extent of it. And I don't understand why, because I did all these things that I'm still struggling. I'm still hurting. I'm still feeling empty inside. Well, unfortunately, here's the reality check. Odds are you've been lulled into spiritual complacency, that there's some piece of culture that still holds influence and power over your life. And it's because you haven't fully surrendered to God. You haven't fully let him be that influence that's speaking the loudest in your life in everything that you do. We can't just be these halfway Christians. You would never halfway get in shape, right? You wouldn't just eat one meal every Friday that's good or go to the gym for one hour every month and expect to be fit by the end of the week. That's not how it happens. The same thing is true. We can't just assume that it's going to happen. It takes work. It takes dedication and devotion and being a part of God, reading, investing ourselves in him, surrendering our lives over to him, letting him speak into our lives above anything else that we do. We have to let God be the influence in our life. And especially right now in the world that we're living in and everything that's going on around us. How do we do that? What does that look like? Well, once again, I think Daniel gives us a great example of what to do. In Daniel one the whole message kind of hinges upon this. Take a look at this. He says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. What did Daniel do? He resolved in himself. He made a predetermined resolution. He said, this is what I'm gonna stand for and this is what I am okay falling for. There's some things I'm going to go along with, and there's things where I'm drawing my line in the sand and saying, no, no more. It's not going to go any further. And what's interesting to me is King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and says, we're changing your name, we're changing your education, your language, right? And now we're going to change your diet. We're forcing you to eat this food that's been sacrificed to these pagan gods. And what's interesting is Daniel says, you can change my name, you can change my language, and you can change my education. Because they're all outward things. They're outward labels. They don't really define who I am on the inside. But the moment you start to test my beliefs, my convictions, my God who I stand for, that's where I'm choosing to draw the line. That's where I'm putting my line in the sand. And so Daniel resolved in himself. He said, I am not going to defile myself in this way. He made this predetermined resolution. See, friends, that's what we need to get from this message this morning. In order for us to truly live under God, we have to start making some predetermined resolutions. Did you hear that? In order for us to truly live under God, to faithfully live under God, we have to start making some predetermined resolutions. If we wait until the moment of battle to fight, we're gonna be overwhelmed. We're gonna be overcome. Metaphorically, I can kind of speak into this and give an example of what this looks like from my experience this week. Like many of you, I got evacuated from my house on Monday due to do the fires. I got up just like everybody else on Monday morning and I, I took my shower and I went after that and made a bottle of milk for my son Oliver and I began feeding him. Well, maybe that's not the same as all of you. That's maybe unique to me, but I was feeding Oliver. As I'm feeding Oliver, I'm watching the news and I see the weatherman come up and he says, we're having wind gusts of 80 to 90 miles an hour in our area. We're in a red flag warning. There's high humidity and a little bit of heat and fire danger is great. And I can look out through my sliding glass door through the blinds and I see, yeah, the wind is already blowing at 7 a.m. This is probably real. But I thought to myself, you know what? We got evacuated three years ago in the Canyon 2 fire. There's no way it's gonna happen again. Like there's just, it's not gonna happen again. So I, you know, it's, we're fine. Even though we live along the riverbed where there's a whole bunch of dry brush, we're fine. It's gonna be good. I'm, I'm great. So I go out my day and I come into work here and I start working and all of a sudden about two hours into it, the power gets shut off here. And SCE tells us, hey, it's due to fire danger. That should have been my first sign that something was wrong. <laughs> but I kind of ignored it. And I was like, uh, it's fine. It's not close to us. And so I kept working. And then I look out the window and I see smoke off in the distance. And so whenever I see smoke, I do what every other person does who lives in Yorba Linda or Anaheim Hills. I go to Yorba Linda Buzz for the answers. Right? So I go to Yorba Linda Buzz and I start looking through all the feeds and people are like, oh, it's the Silverado fire. The winds are blowing this way and they're dumping ash. And it's okay. There's no threat to Yorba Linda or Anaheim Hills. And like this is great, so I called Tiffany, my wife, because Tiffany had really bad PTSD from her last evacuation from the Canyon Two fire, and so I wanted to let her know, hey, there's probably going to be ash falling, you're probably going to smell smoke, but you're fine. There's nothing going on. It's far away from us. It's in Irvine. We're good to go. And she's like, okay, and went about her day. It wasn't until a couple hours later that I made contact with the firefighter friend of mine who said, you need to get home and prepare for evacuation immediately. And it became real at that moment. I thought oh man. <laughs> so I grab my stuff. I get into my car, start driving up La Palma. And of course I hit traffic because road closures are starting to go into effect. And I call Tiffany on the phone and she's already panicking because she has now learned more information than I have. And she's overwhelmed. Her anxiety is through the roof. And I can hear Oliver just crying in the background because it's a very tense situation at home. And I say, hey, you need to be strong for Oliver in this moment. Start packing his stuff. I'll get there as soon as I can. And we'll go from there. So I finally make it through and I get down and as I'm driving into our complex, the visibility keeps dropping because the smoke is so thick. I get out of my car and the smoke hits me in the face and it makes me cough and there's ash falling down like rain. So I run into the house and I, I grab some of the bags that Tiffany's already packed and I'm putting stuff in the car. And by the way, evacuating when it's just you and your wife is way easier than when you're evacuating with a baby because you apparently bring everything that the baby owns and nothing that you own. It's It's credible. But nevertheless, I'm running back and forth, throwing stuff in the car. And I remember probably my third trip, I'm putting stuff in the car. And I'm now coughing and my eyes are watering because the smoke is so thick. And all of a sudden, my car begins to shake. The building begins to shake. The ground begins to shake. And this fire helicopter flies so low over us, I get sprayed with the mist from its bucket. And it was that moment I said, we're in trouble. That moment in the midst of the battle, I was overwhelmed. And so I ran in the house and I said, Tiffany, we're out of time. Grab your stuff. Let's go. Our poor cat got thrown in the trunk and everything on top of her. It was just a terrible situation. But we got into the car, and as we're driving out of our complex, we can see the fire burning on the hill. We see the backside of a home with flames licking up the side of it. And it was a very overwhelming experience for both of us. And it was at that moment we started to pray. And as I was in the middle of praying, I started thinking, why didn't I start praying sooner? Why didn't I prepare sooner? Instead of being caught off guard, I didn't make any predetermined resolutions that morning, even though I knew the danger was real. And the reason I tell you this story is not to elicit sympathy or to get some kind of emotional response is because I think it's so prevalent to what we're experiencing in our world right now. There is a battle that's waging around us every single day. And if we aren't making these predetermined resolutions to stand for God, when we get into the middle of that battle, we're going to become overwhelmed. And it's going to cause us to make decisions. It's going to cause us to do things that we know aren't right. Because we're responding in the moment rather than responding as God has equipped us to. We have to make some predetermined resolutions. So my question to you this morning is this. What predetermined resolutions do you need to make today? What is it that you really need to make today to truly live under God? Maybe it's to claim victory over that sin to break free from that addiction or that habit. Maybe it's to stay off of social media or away from TV for this week as the election happens. Maybe it's to not talk to that one friend or that one relative who's very outspoken and vocal about how they're feeling with politics that just irks you inside, that makes you want to lash out at them. Maybe it's to pray more, to pray for our nation. You know, we're actually going to give you an opportunity to step into that. This coming Wednesday, in this room at seven o'clock, we're going to gather and pray for our nation. It's going to be right after the election happened, but we're going to get together and pray and just submit what's happening in our world to God. So we feel that's the most important thing to do right now. And that's a predetermined resolution that every single one of us needs to make, to not be transformed or have our minds disillusioned by culture, but have this renewing inside of us where God can be our true influence. Now, I think this is why Paul writes in Romans 12 when he says this, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are not to conform to the influence, to the patterns of this world, but be renewed by what it is that God is calling us to do. And if you don't want to be sucked into the seductive lure of culture, you've got to learn to start making some predetermined resolutions today, right now, whatever that may be. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that culture is bad. We're supposed to run and hide from it. No, we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, living under God, are called to be influencers of culture. We are the salt, we are the light. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And he has given us this amazing task, this amazing mission of being his ambassadors, bringing his message of love and reconciliation to this world. We aren't to run from culture, but to get in it and stand for God, to stand for truth. Not let culture persuade us or influence how we vote, what we choose to do, what positions we support, but to seek God in everything that we do to stand for God in everything that we decide to do. That's what matters the most. That's what it comes down to. We need to be influencers. We need to be set apart from this culture. That's what it means to be holy, to be set apart, to be sanctified. And this is what God has called us to do, to be his ambassadors in this world, to make this one spiritual nation that isn't under culture, but it's back under God where it belongs. This week, we are going to be electing the new president of the United States. And I know some people are scared. Some people are excited. Some people are worried. Some people are frustrated. There's a lot of mixed emotions and feelings going on. But the bottom line is this. Regardless of who holds office at the end of this week, if we know by then, God still holds the world. That's what it comes down to. God still holds the world. And we're not to be afraid because God is in charge. He's been in charge from the beginning. He's going to continue to be in charge all the way through every step of this, everywhere that we go and everything that we do. And we've seen God work through some great leaders and some ungreat leaders. through some wise kings and some unwise kings. God is gonna move the way that God has always moved and he's gonna prevail, but we have to put our trust in him. We have to let him be the influence that speaks loudest in our lives in every single thing that we do and not listen to culture because culture has it backwards. Have you ever realized that everything that culture tells us is completely opposite to what Jesus tells us? I mean, if you look at culture, what does it say? Social media, for instance, promote yourself, elevate yourself, make a name for yourself. What does Jesus say? Deny yourself. Culture tells us, become something great. Get a name for yourself. Achieve great things in your name. Jesus says, be humble. Be humble and serve other people. Culture says, consume, consume, consume. Jesus says, give, give, give. Culture says, if someone wrongs you and hurts you, Hate them, hurt them back. Jesus says, if somebody wrongs you or hurts you, love them, love them even more. See, Jesus' empire, his kingdom was a kingdom that was upside down. The last shall be first, the first shall be last. The powerful will be removed from their thrones. The rich will be cast away. The blessed, the poor will be blessed. The peacemakers will be the children of God. And Jesus says, look, this is what my kingdom looks like. And I've called you to be a part of that kingdom. To be my ambassador of that kingdom and bring love to this world. And this isn't some kingdom that we just hope for down the road. No. He says, make it on earth as it is in heaven. It's something that we can grab a hold of right here and right now, that we can place our hope in, but it starts by us humbling ourselves. You know, 1 Peter 5 6 says this Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. We need to humble ourselves and truly start to ask God, is there some place in my life? that I'm more under the influence of culture than I am under the influence of you. God, if I have been intoxicated and led astray and I'm drifting away from you, help me to see it because odds are I can't see it myself. We need him to step in, to speak loud to us so we can break free from the lure that we've all been caught in and continue to rely upon the biblical principles that God has called us to again and again and again, over and over and over again, that we can truly live under God. You know what, when we choose to live under God, and to bring his kingdom to this earth and be his ambassadors, people are going to make fun of us. People are going to lash out against us. People aren't going to believe us. People are going to persecute us. You know what? Like I said last week, bring it on. Because there's perseverance and persecution. I'm not afraid of persecution. You know when I am afraid? When I stop getting persecuted, because that means people see more culture in me than they do see of God. And that should be a wake-up call for us to really grab a hold of and say, maybe culture does have a deeper grip than I ever thought it does. And I need to get back to believing in God. I'm gonna call the band to join me back up here on stage and we're gonna enter into a response song in just a couple minutes because I think it's so important that we go from this place today entering into this election in just a few days with our hearts set right. Because the truth of the matter is this, we are going to be electing a new president of the United States this week. It's the truth, it's the reality, it's what's going to happen and we have to understand that. One of our greatest temptations as Christians, as believers under God, is to misplace our hope. So many of us are trying to put our hope in a candidate, in a position, in a measure that's gonna bring us out of this chaos. But there is a hymn that I'd like us all to leave this place today singing in our heads. A hymn that can redirect our focus that says this, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. There's a lot of sinking sand around us right now. There's a lot of big words and empty promises around us right now. And we're very tempted to place our hope in people who are good at persuading us, people who might be good at influencing us one way or another. But that's not where we need to place our hope. If we place our hope in men. If we place our hope in positions or measures We're going to be disappointed. We're going to be broken. We're going to feel empty inside. And so you know what? I have hope going into the next week. I have hope for the election season 2020. And it's not because I found a candidate that meets everything that I'm looking for, but it's because I've learned to hope differently. I've learned that my hope isn't put in man. My hope's not in Trump. My hope's not in Biden. My hope's not even in America. My hope is in Christ alone. That's where it is. And once I place my hope there and be influenced by what God is calling me to, I can truly step into where he's leading us to be one spiritual united nation under God, indivisible with his liberty and his justice for all. Would you pray with me? Father, God, we are so humbled by you. God, it's so easy to be led astray by culture that exists around us. God, to be influenced by all the voices that are trying to tell us how to think, how to vote, what to say, what to speak, what to do. But God, I pray that just as we leave this place today, Father, that you redirect our hearts to you, that there would be a transforming of our lives, a renewing of our minds, Father, a humbling of ourselves where we can truly seek to serve you. To love you, follow you, to be influenced by you. And Father, maybe there are some people in this room this morning who have been under the influence of culture in this world for too long. And they're ready to make that predetermined resolution today that they're going to stop following after culture. They're going to stop listening to the voices around them and redirect their lives to you. That happens to be you in this room with all eyes closed this morning. We just want to pray for you. We just want to come alongside of you and support you. If you are ready to make that predetermined resolution in your life, to be set free from culture, the influence and the hook that culture has over you today, just go ahead and raise your hand. Amen. Those of you who are watching online, we don't want you to feel left out either. Just type me in the chat. Because God wants to do an amazing work through your lives. He's ready to liberate you. He's ready to set you free and speak into your lives today. And you're taking that first step and making that predetermined resolution. Father, we pray over all these hands that are raised and all the people online who are responding me right now. Father, we pray that you just embolden them, Father, that you equip them, that you be over them, Father, and that you just speak a new life, a new breath into them this morning but they would leave this place being transformed and renewed by you. God, help us to see you more clearly and understand that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Pray this in your name. Amen.